Hello, 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 and welcome to another glorious, some might even say delicious, serving of sticky rice. I hope you are all doing fantastic. Um, I'm super excited about this week's episode because I had the pleasure of interviewing Matt Ben Stone, who is an international award-winning commercial sports photographer whose clientele include Red Bull, Beta Coco, McLaren Automotive, and Calf Apparel. So Matt and I connected initially through Instagram, and he was kind enough to invite me over to his photography studio near London Bridge. And after spending some time with him, I learned so much just from practical things you can do on a photo shoot to just sharing experiences in the photography world and the kind of resilient mindset you need to make it. So I'm really happy that we were able to do an episode together to bring you guys some value that can help with your journey through this treacherous world of photography. We also discuss a variety of different topics, including how he approaches his photo shoots, how he got started with photography, how to mitigate against risks and things going wrong on a photo shoot, how he deals with his competitors and the importance of networking in the industry. Now you can check out more about him and his work at mattbenstone.com and his Instagram is at mattbenstone. Okay, so without further ado, onto the show. Okay, here we go. Matt, thank you so much for your time to record an episode of Sticky Rice with myself. I'm, I'm really happy uh, that you reached out and I'm, and I'm excited to learn more about your sort of photo- photography journey and your style of work and, and what your ambitions are. Um, sure. And just to kick things off, Matt, for those who aren't familiar with your work, just very briefly, because we'll, we can go into it in a bit more detail later, but how would you describe your style of photography? All of my work is within the sports sector, if you like, so sports lifestyle. A lot of it is revolved around cycling, um, and I guess that's just come from my real passion and interest in, in road cycling, and so it's sort of born out of that. But sort of actually my style of photography, I guess, is um, it's really – I would describe my photography as being really clean. The images have a really clean and graphic – feel to them yeah that that's it that's it for sure yeah that definitely does come through with when i see your work I've, I've you've shown me your portfolio in person and um one of the things that really struck me with your work is just how clean graphic and crisp the images are and there was one image in particular that grabbed my attention um which was just a photograph of a bike uh, which you had taken in your studio yeah, and I was really struck by just the colours and how precise the imagery was. And something that came to mind when I was looking at it is sort of how that's reflected into the object and the kind of the story that you're trying to convey to the audience. Because, like a professional cyclist, it has to be very precise, and their technique has to be perfect. It has to be optimal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's very much a theme that, that runs through your work. So yeah, it's, it's really amazing to look at. And um, something that I'd like to sort of delve into a little bit, Matt, is just sort of the early days for you and, and how you sort of started photography and the sort of the journey you've taken to, to where you are now in the commercial space. Sure. Yeah. Well, I guess as a kid, um, I was always really quite creative, loved drawing and just, you know, just had a fascination with the arts, I guess. And that that sort of uh, grew on to 
college where I studied graphic design and photography where it's just sort of flourished and I had a real passion for for these kind of things um I was really fortunate at the local college that I went to it had a black and white dark room which for me was basically just the spark I think so I was really lucky at the college I I went to um it had a black and white dark room which for me was was just like the spark that I guess ignited my passion for photography you know it was just like something really fascinating and just super exciting about having like the stop the dev the fix and the the sort of being limited at that time to sort of 35 mil and you know the 24 36 exposures and just sort of that whole craft of shooting something yourself and then seeing it sort of actually develop in the in the dark room you know so that whole process was just you know pure magic for me and just sort of that then led on to me uh, studying or, you know, I actually, I was accepted in at uh, the Arts University Bournemouth. And so I studied fine art photography there. And I had a great, I had a great few years there and came out with a degree. And then I, uh, I left with my degree and then really wanted to sort of start making inroads in photography. But I wasn't sure how how to do that um and i sort of really struggled at first just trying to get to london um and uh just actually just trying to sort of break into commercial photography even you know and i started for many years assisting so that was like that was the stepping stone for me really was actually just um becoming an assistant and you know i i assisted a sort of a a wide roster of photographers whose work that I really admired and really liked. And, and that way it's sort of, I was exposed to sort of all different types of genres and styles and workings. And you sort of really learn your, your way through um, photography. So I would really sort of recommend that. Well, that's sort of the more traditional path, if you like going to university, becoming an assistant and then you know, and then getting your own jobs and becoming a photographer in your own right. So that's sort of like a very traditional path, um, which um, has worked out for me, you know. Yeah, that's really interesting because the topic of going to university to study something like photography, it's different for different people. There are there are photographers that are kind of self-taught because there are lots of good free educational material online where you can learn the technicalities of photography um, you can even learn the chemistry of developing your own film etc but what i'd like to know from you matt is do you feel like you could have got where you are without that education so did that formal education help you where you are today because you also did a lot of assisting and again that's another great way of learning the trade if you like and the technicalities behind photography um, and i'm sure it has benefits as well in terms of building connections and networking. So yeah, I'd like to know, did, did that really help getting that formal education? It helped me. Um, I really, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's, it was the, it was the approach I took. I can definitely see fours and against now, especially with like the rising, you know, the, the increased costs in, in university. I can only really comment on my own journey because it's the one I know, but um, for me, it was invaluable in a sense in actually 
exploring and learning photography and um, just figuring out what what the boundaries are or or and you know just learning uh, and absorbing so much and that was a great sort of framework and uh, way way to do that really um i studied sort of the the art photography course down at bournemouth uh so in some ways it didn't prepare me at all to be a commercial photographer but i guess in some ways again I, I don't know whether there is anything that really can, you know. It's like as a commercial photographer, you're juggling so many different plates, you know, and, and only a very small part of that is actually taking taking pictures, you know. Like a, a being a photographer for, from the outside sounds like a really sort of fantastic, joyous job, and it is, but the actual photography element of the job is – very very small you know five ten percent the rest of it is just like anything else running running a business or or your own business uh there's bookkeeping marketing you know managing money and finances and getting getting new work in and maintaining clients and you know all, all the other things that, that that come with the sort of general housekeeping as well so yeah there's, there's lots yeah, to I, it yeah because i always find the topic of um, learning photography at university at degree level quite interesting because I would have loved to have studied photography um, at university whether or not I would have learned everything that I needed and would have eventually applied to the real world of um, shooting for clients I don't know but just the idea of learning everything there is to know about your cameras the film composition it just yeah. seems that's just an amazing that's, experience in and of itself, you know. That's it. It's like um, it was. It was very much at, at uni. You know, we we had access to black and white uh, and color darkrooms, um, so I would be able to process E six, C forty one, and you know, black and white. However, you'd want to process your own black and white, whether it would be like ID eleven or D seventy six or whatever it may be. So. You know, we had all of those facilities there, so it gave me a huge sort of groundwork in in all of that sort of analog photography, whether it be sort of Polaroid or uh, you know large format or, or or whatever. You know, it was like it, it was all there, and you know, well, I say it was all there. We the, the the access was a lot easier than it would be now, for instance. You know, um, and you know, it was you would just be surrounded in the in the library by amazing amazing books and you'd be you, you know you'd just be inspired to to try out all of this stuff and it, and actually you, you didn't really have anything to lose you know you could just go out and test and if it didn't work then okay you haven't really lost lost out on on, on anything and there isn't any sort of clients breathing down your neck so in so in that space it does give you a huge space to to grow and and flourish or 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 figure out what 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 you like and what what you don't like you know yeah because learning online just using free resources like you know, youtube and the various social media platforms like that's really good but i feel the pace of learning is a bit slower because you will only learn at the pace that you need to learn for example if you want to figure out what the best lens is for a particular shoot you're going to look specifically 
uh, for a video that discusses that so which is going to leave out lots of other things which and that is, video is, is is only ever going to be someone's one person's opinion you know it could be biased you know it could be sponsored by the brand or you know yeah. you, you, you don't know so yeah in terms of that you you're in that you're in that very sort of safe environment just to sort of chat to 30 others or whoever and just you know and just figure yeah. it out you know so you know that's invaluable you know yeah and the element as well of being around other students in your situation at your level i think adds an extra layer of i suppose just support really you know to share your experience with and bounce ideas from absolutely one of the things that i was really impressed by in your portfolio was a photo shoot you did with a cycling brand called calf oh yeah and, yeah um, yeah i was really impressed with those photos because it kind of speaks to my own personal taste of photography and what i like to shoot which is sort of on location in the outdoors uh mountainous landscapes and yeah, you you captured that beautifully in that particular campaign. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how that particular job came about and how you approached that shoot. So did you work off mood boards? Did you have a big crew with you? Um, so yeah, if you could maybe talk a little bit about that, please, Matt. Yeah, for sure. Well, a lot like a lot goes into the shoot before you you rock up and shoot. You know. There's lots of pre-production involved, lots of emails, you know, um, meetings, phone calls, you know, and you're, yeah, you're right. You are, you're discussing sort of locations, figuring out, you know, what, what might work or usually, usually you'll be working off a brief, uh, you know, and the client will send you a brief and that, that usually is. Like the brand manager or the art director for for that particular brand or that company, and you'll be sort of dealing with them directly. Usually, in the instances where I have worked with sort of clothing manufacturers as well, you are sometimes also working with the the actual clothing designer as well um, to help you know to help style it to make sure that it's represented correctly as well. So there'll be lots of people um, you'll be you'll be meeting up with or in discussion with. Um, beforehand as well as on on location as well for for that for that particular job we were in scotland for a week or a little over a week as well i think actually we were we were shooting for for one week with the the rider models um but i flew up um with the with the eye director a couple of days beforehand um and we had we had a good idea and we had our accommodation and we had we had all of that sort of locked in you know in terms of location and we we'd recce'd the location on google maps and, and things like that before so we knew that um there was enough locations and you know there was enough assets that we could glean from from the from the area but in terms of actual specific spots uh that's what what we went up a couple of days beforehand to do so we you know we we went up before the rest of the crew uh the rest of the team turned up and um yeah we just we just drove around you know we'd be looking on the map and we'd we'd be looking for switchbacks or uh, gorgeous sort of lakes and and um, vistas and we'd, we'd just drive to them and just figure it out and see whether that would work or that might work for a close-up or that would work for a huge 
you know, uh, landscape, open vista, and um, yeah, and we just start plotting and, and figuring things out. So then, when we had the when we were shooting, then we kind of knew what was in logistically what we could achieve in day one, what we could achieve in day two, and and where all the different locations were, and how long it might take between each location to get there. Um, you know, and these things always take much longer than than you anticipate anyway. So yeah, it's good to get everything sort of mapped out and um, add in, especially sort of in in Scotland as well. Add in a little bit of uh, um, sort of um, leeway in terms of timings for for rain and adverse weather, which um, yeah, we we did have a lot of. But thankfully, it was a autumn winter collection, so in some ways, it it um, it, it worked in our favour. So yeah, it seems you had like a really good idea of what you wanted to achieve before you even got to the location. And, and then once you got there, it seems you kind of dialed in exactly the kind Absolutely. of imagery that you wanted, you wanted to get. Olivia Bossert, who I, inter- who I interviewed some time ago, one of the things that she does is she would actually sketch out some of the, the shots that she wants to achieve on set. Is that something that you've ever done or felt like you needed to do? Um, no, because I'm, I'm terrible at drawing. But um, I do, you know, I would definitely have set ideas in terms of um, what I would want to achieve. And I would have that in, in my mind when, when I would sketch out when uh, moving images involved um, and I would storyboard all my moving image, um, which is a requ- which is something that more and more clients are coming on for now they're, or they're expecting to to be able to shoot some moving image alongside video. And, um, yeah, so I'll like when, when that is the case, then I'll work as a, as a DOP and, you know, I'll, I'll work with a a camera op and an editor. Um, and, and that way, you know, we will storyboard things together with, with the camera op and with the client so that we know exactly what we're, we're going to get and what is, what realistically could work and how it will translate within moving image and within the camera and whether we need to get a gimbal or whether it's a tracking shot or whether we need, you know, a specific a piece of, of moving image equipment for to, to achieve that shot, basically. Yeah, I, tr- I try to visualize as much as I can the kind of shots that I want to achieve with, with some of my um, shoots. And yeah, like yourself, I because I'm a terrible drawer, I wouldn't go as far as to kind of sketch it out. But I will have like a really clear vision in my mind of sort of what I want to get out of the shoot. And then obviously using film, you kind of have to cross your fingers a little bit and uh, <laughs> hope that it comes out as, as you wanted it to. But you're having spent time with you, Matt, you're, you're a huge proponent of when it comes to shooting and producing work, you're a huge proponent of minimizing risk and mitigating against things yeah. that could go wrong and, and, and trying to, to control that as much as you can. So uh, there was an interesting story or thing that you told me of of these two parents that fly separately can you maybe tell that again and and touch on some of the things and strategies that that you go through to minimize risk yeah i mean the most the most obvious one is to have two cameras you know uh that's that's a pretty bog standard one uh that that pretty much everybody does or has now as a you know as a paid commercial photographer so if one if one packs up or one gets dropped or one's broken then then you have then you have a backup more often or not you'll be shooting with two cameras 
anyway, you might have a you know you might have a different than setup. But it, but that that's sort of the first and most obvious. A, another example, like uh, with film photography, for instance, um, you know, shooting two different cameras, um, you could take you could split your your batch of film and take it to two separate labs. So you know, at least if something, God forbid, did happen. To, to the lab or to the film or, or something, then at least you've, you, you're going to have half the half the images. Um, you know, uh, I think a lot of a lot of people now as well, like um, shoot most most DSLRs have two card slots, and they'll be shooting uh, JPEGs to one card and RAW files to another uh, simultaneously. So at least there's always a backup within camera if you know if you are shooting to card but that that particular story that i i was i was talking about was just like uh i think it was it was two parents um and they would fly on on separate planes i i think i think they were um you know they were in pretty sort of um high high powered jobs but they would they would fly on separate planes with their with their kids when they went on holiday or or, or for business or or whatever so so you know if if there was a um uh, you know, an accident of some sort or something like that, God forbid, then, um, you know, uh, yeah, things things wouldn't be as um, drastic. Yeah, they wouldn't be as bad as losing two parents, I suppose. So, yeah, in a way, it's, it does seem quite extreme, but it makes perfect sense. It does, sense. it does. But, yeah, it's it's um, it's a perfect example of, of, yeah, how to sort of try and mitigate that that risk. You know, as, as simple as, like, if you're a location photographer and you're, you're going to a location, um, you know, and it's sunny, just take your raincoat, you know. That's 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 like an easy one, you know, as well, isn't it? It's just like take a raincoat, even if it's going to be sunny, because you never know, especially in a simple, simple and effective. Um, there was another one as well that was relevant to film photographers, which I had no knowledge of before I met you, which was film photographers, because unlike digital, they don't have that instant feedback. So this is less about mitigating risk, more of providing that instant feedback on a shoot for yeah. a client. Yeah. Cause you said that when you're shooting film, the brand manager or someone from the company that you're shooting for will be on set, but we'll want to see some imagery that's going to be uh, similar to what the finished product will be because they don't want to take that risk. So, um, so yeah. So one of the things that film photographers can do is, as you said, is you can have like a Polaroid adapter to your film camera yeah. which can give Polaroids to your clients so they can see or have some indication as to what the finished product would be, which I would imagine would be incredibly useful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, in in terms of nowadays, like everyone is is so used to, to the camera being tethered up to a laptop or a screen and just it's sort of, you know, crowded around the screen and seeing, seeing the results instantly. It's like um, that, I guess, was born out of Polaroid backs, for for film cameras and it was it was a way um where you could test like you know it was just an instant or semi-instant because uh the polaroids take about three minutes to to dev don't they it's like i'm i'm talking about like the the modern equivalent now is the fuji fb 100c the the peel apart film it's sort of pack film but you can get adapters that will go onto a back of like a, a medium format six by six or six seven camera uh, as well as, um, I think like a Nikon F might have an adapter for 35 mil, but don't quote me on that. But yeah, you can, you, you would, you would use that. You would, you would just, you'd take any camera that's sort of got an interchangeable back as such, 
you know, whether you would just take take your film back off, put the Polaroid back on, pull a Polaroid, um, and then in a couple of minutes it will see, and you'll be able to see like what, what's happening with like the lighting or exposure and and all of those kind of things. So it gives like a real time, yeah, like like you're saying, sort of a real time just view on um, on how the shoot's progressing and um, and and what's happening. And what is that experience like being on location or on set or in the studio and, and having someone from the company you're shooting for be there, be present, but not within a creative capacity, more within a kind of uh, quality assurance role? What What is that like in terms of the pressure and the stresses and, and how do you deal with that? I mean, I think it just comes with part of the job. And I think you can relieve you can relieve some of that stress by uh the pre-production you do and making sure that as much you know as as much as you can everything's under control beforehand and everything's going to be locked in so there's less chance of things going wrong things will go wrong things always do go wrong and and a lot of the time those things are out of out of your control you know but um it, yeah it's it, it's just it's just one of those things and yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I've been used to, used to sort of clients being on on set very early on, and I think that comes back to sort of assisting. Um, you know, that was sort of my first experience of that is um, being on assistant jobs and knowing that the the clients are there, and and then that sort of just you know all of those processes and all of these things I think are learned through assisting, and you you just then know know that it sort of becomes the norm and and you just sort of watch and learn and you know you can pick up so much from assisting good photographers basically and and knowing how to deal with certain situations when when they happen yeah i can imagine being exposed to that environment through an assisting role would be incredibly helpful because i think from someone who from the outside who isn't experienced in shooting professionally I think the idea of having just like, I don't know, someone over your shoulder, making sure that everything's going right can sometimes, I don't know, potentially interfere with the creative process, et cetera. But it sounds like it's more of a, even though they're not there within a creative capacity, it's still a collaborative effort because everyone wants the end products. Oh, to yeah. Be yeah, Everyone's absolutely. Yeah. Everyone, yeah, everyone does. That's exactly right. Everyone does have that end goal everyone what just wants wants the results you know um everyone just wants the shots to be to be right and and to and to work so yeah it's it's totally that um you know usually usually what i'll do if i know that there'll be um a lot of people wanting to look at their images then i will um set up a second monitor so that um i i can view a monitor with my digiop or assistant and then there'll be another monitor for for everyone on the client or agency side to to look at. So you're not you are not feeling sort of enclosed and everyone's bunched up together, but everyone has their their own sort of space as well to to view and feel more more relaxed. You know, how do you pitch to brands and introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Matt. I'm a photographer, <laughs> and uh, can you give me a job? Yeah, <laughs> easy peasy. Yeah. Um, is it an email 
strategy do you use emails do you reach out on dms to brands uh is it word of mouth is it people that you've worked on on shoots before yeah i think it's it's a case of it's definitely emails and um yeah reaching out reaching out to people i think is is um is the key uh not so much dms I'm, i'm not i don't actually have too much experience with that i think like a lot of brands um, may be are usually so or their brands Instagrams are usually managed by agencies or social media agencies. So actually, if you are um, DMing certain brands, you wouldn't actually get through to the the right person anyway. So it's usually via email. I'll I'll get in touch with them, um, somebody who you know who I who I want to try and um, work for. And I assume you'll do your research to find out who the relevant individual is to introduce yourself to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some sometimes it, it, that can be quite tricky in itself, you know. But um, like uh, LinkedIn is pretty uh, is pretty handy for that. Because something that you sort of said to me before was that most of the work that you get is actually from outreach, um, and less so through people sort of stumbling upon your stuff and then reaching out to you uh yeah i would have thought so from really sort of bluntly from a brand's perspective there's thousands or you know hundreds of photographers out there so um you're just a needle in a in a haystack but um it's sort of if you're reaching out to them then you're you're going to be um more contactable and, and i don't think you know I don't think anyone has, I could be really wrong at this, but I don't think anyone has booked me through finding my website. You know, I think that if you were going to put in sort of London photographer or sports photographer into Google, there'll be that, you know, there'll be hundreds of pages. So yeah, it's definitely through um, reaching out to people and just sort of being on people's radars basically. Yeah. And um, I guess that speaks to the point you made earlier the notion that the photography side of things is probably, as you estimate, five to ten percent of the job itself. The rest of the time and the rest of your energy is devoted to other things, to running a business, including acquiring new clients. Yeah, and I mean, actually, that's 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 a very good point that I hadn't actually really touched on before. But editorial is still really valid. I think it's a good way of. Um, going uh, and being in situations and going places and, and finding out new new things and producing new work and it actually the work actually having a home and a place to sit you know whether it be online or or in print you know so i think editorial is still a really valid has still a really valid place in today's sort of market in a, in a way that like you can you can produce work through editorial it sit in a magazine but then you also can then pitch that or that that sort of idea or that that certain type of concept to other brands to get a commercial job further down the line you know yeah and what are some of the projects that you'll be working on in the future because i know that you were supposed to go out to japan to shoot the olympics weren't you ah yeah i mean yeah that would have been amazing but sadly that that just sort of fell that fell through just through to um you know the the pandemic basically but um yeah i was i i would have been working with a um 
a sports picture picture agency to to go out to the games and i would be shooting all of the uh surprise surprise all of the cycling events um and i would be really looking forward to that um and slightly terrified at the same time sort of um not knowing any uh japanese but yeah sadly that that isn't happening no more uh what else have i I, were you asking what else have i got coming up um in the near future yeah well just staying on the topic of shooting major events one one of the big shoots that you did was the you were the one of the official photographers for the guinness world record for the fastest bike ride yeah that's yeah that's it that's it that's a bit of a uh a mouthful but yeah um that was that was um yeah, that was an amazing, amazing uh, project or, or shoot. That was out in the, the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah. Um, so I was the official photographer for uh, Denise Mueller Karenik, who is um, the world's fastest bicycle record holder. Uh, she's a fantastic woman, and uh, she holds the record at 184 miles an hour. Um, which sounds crazy ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's 184 miles an hour on a bicycle, which is just mad. Um, but it, yeah, it, that was out in uh, the Bonneville Salt Flats, which is just a area which is steeped in sort of motorsport speed history. Basically, it's got so much heritage around speed and and records being being broken. Um, partly just because it's like the ideal location to do it is super sort of pan flat and smooth and it's just like it's a dried up uh lake bed um so it can stretch for miles and miles and miles um just sort of dead pan flat salt so it's really sort of a hard smooth surface to to go fast on and um yeah i was i was commissioned to go to go out with her um uh for the record attempt we didn't actually know whether she would break the record uh she attempted to break the record in 2016 um uh, and then for for sort of um there were sort of mechanical uh, failures uh, that sort of put stop to that but um the record was actually produced uh, sort of as a as a side note the record was actually uh, broken or produced uh, she was drafting behind a dragster so this dragster was sort of modified so it had um, an aerodynamic shield behind it it had a big sort of fender on the back of it so she could sit in this little um bubble of um zero drag basically so she had absolutely no wind resistance um and she would she would be cycling a little bit like if you could imagine cycling at home on a turbo trainer or a static bicycle but she was able just to power on through um, it was on a specifically sort of modified uh, bicycle that just looks like this mad sort of carbon fiber, um, really sort of low slung sort of bat- Batmobile type bike. It had a double gear reduction system on it. So it basically had two uh, two cranks on it and, and two, you know, two drive shafts. Uh, so you could go from big ring to small ring and then that big ring went to small ring. So it would like all of the, it was basically designed for, for speed and, and high power um yeah and that's and that's how she did it but um yes it was just like a crazy amazing shoot just to be out there for 10 days i think it was in the end that i I was embedded with her and the the team and yeah it was it was it was a fantastic uh sort of place 
to be you know uh for me it was um it was a pretty amazing thing to do you know i i love i love motorsport i love cars i love cycling so it's like everything was just wrapped up in one big sort of speed bubble you know so yeah because i love the imagery that you produced from that shoot um thank you the colors the colors are so vivid because obviously you're shooting on a salt plane so everything any colors that are sitting on there the contrast is is beautiful and and also it's the variety of images as well you shot a lot of wide angle stuff almost landscape-esque type photography um but also you had a few um beautiful kind of portraits in there as well um so yeah there was beautiful variety of the images and, and i was really really impressed by that and I just love that story because it kind of um, epitomizes one of the main reasons I love photography, which is not just producing images, but it's the experiences that come along with that. So for yourself, like like you said, you're into cycling and you like motorsports, et cetera, and you got the chance to flew out to Utah and it was a world record attempt. So that <laughs> seems to like ticked all the boxes for you. And that's why I love photography. It's the, the journeys and the, the experiences that come along with it. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it can, it can take you to some really fantastic places, you know, uh, especially like if you're a travel photographer, uh, you know, I, I, I bet you get to go on some, um, amazing, uh, holidays. No, I mean, work trips, sorry um but yeah <laughs> um but yeah even like um you know i my work is really split across uh studio um and i have a studio in london bridge uh that i work out of and on on location as well so that's sort of how my time is sort of being split now between between the two which which is really um yeah, my, that's how my time is being split between the two now, which is really great because it gives me a huge variety in the in the work that I do. Um, so I'll be shooting sort of still lifes or lookbooks in the in the studio, and then I'll go out to some sort of epic, gorgeous locations and, and be able to shoot the riders doing some some crazy, um, you know, really really fantastic riding or running or you know whatever it whatever it may be. So yeah, we've touched on some of the glamorous sides to photography and some of the great experiences that can bring. What would you say for you were some of the challenging aspects of being a uh, photographer, but also um, a freelance sort of self-employed sports photographer? Um, Sorry, I guess what, yeah, Sorry, it is. No, it is. It is a tough question, um, and it, it's sort of tough to know how to answer it sort of cohesively i think um i i've always been freelance you know going straight straight into assisting and um uh, i did have a when when i very first started assisting i did have a part-time job to help sort of support myself but i was i've, I've always been freelance uh, going right through to assisting and then going on to to shoot my own job so in in that sense, I that I was sort of would be referring to managing your money and and trying to keep you know in sort of budgeting and and that kind of thing has always um, you know it, that that's one of the main struggles I would say is that um, keeping your cash flow um, going and with being in the commercial space, the sports commercial space that is, I can imagine it's. It, 
and you even said it yourself, it's, it's very saturated and I can imagine very competitive as well. But something that you said, which really struck me was it's better to look at that or look at your competitors as your contemporaries rather, rather than people you have to compete against. Could you maybe explore that a little bit and and um, oh kind of like yeah that? yeah I mean um, yes I do have competitors and yes you can think of them as the other photographers as competitors when they when they get a job off a client that you might have been chasing or lusting after to shoot and you think oh damn but you know I think once you bec- you know and I would say that I'm sort of quite niche within my sector if you like it's within um, i i shoot within the sports umbrella but it's sort of majority of my work comes within cycling so i guess that is it feels quite niche but there are there are still lots of photographers at you know or, or specialist photographers who who concentrate on cycling so yeah it can be quite competitive but i am or you do just become aware of other photographers who who get the jobs and and when you see their work you're like actually that is really amazing um you know i'm really glad that you've you've uh, you've shot that and you've done that because it looks it looks fab you know and i think there is although it is competitive there is still enough work to to go around and you shouldn't be you should be concentrating on your own work um and making your own work as as good as you can be rather than um looking at sort of other people's work and, and, and sort of thinking, oh, damn, I wish I wish I did that. Because when if you do that, when you put your own work out, you know, uh, other people within that community, I'm sure, will, will, will be thinking the same. So I think I think it comes down to like um, almost like imposter syndrome, you know, thinking, oh, damn, you know, it's like I wish I got, I got that. But actually, it's like you should have belief to, to be able to put your own work out and be like, yeah, I'm really proud of this. I've shot this. This is, this is great. And, um, you know, and it, and it still stands up against, um, sort of the other photographers work, you know, in some ways, but it is, it is really good to sort of know your, um, contemporaries, if you like, because, um, earlier this year, uh, I was heading up, um, the photography team, um, I was like a like the photography director, if you like, for a um, a velodrome event uh, where I I was in charge, or I was the head photographer, and I was in charge of um, a couple of other photographers uh, as well, as well as sort of photo techs and photo editors. So I I was in charge of putting the whole team together and sort of facilitating the the media and the the photography for that particular event across several days um so in that instance it's really handy to to know who your you know contemporaries are because sometimes you have to reach out and you have to have help or you know they 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 might be assisting you on um on on your bigger jobs or you know things like that so yeah it's definitely um it's definitely good to be to be friends not foes yeah, and I just love that distinction of contemporaries versus competitors because I feel that it, it just opens the door to you learning more as well and to future collaborations as well, you know, rather than just missing rather than just dismissing them as mere competitors, they can be great sources of sort of education and um 
as I said, future collaborators as well. So that, yeah. that was really, that was quite, that was a, that was a distinction that, that kind of struck me that I'm, I'm definitely going to keep at the forefront of my mind, um, going yeah. from my own, my own journey of photography, you know? Yeah. And I guess on a sort of a side note as well, is that you, you should see them. If you, if you, if you figure out who your contemporaries are, you should actually speak to them because in some ways you should feel confident enough to ask them what their their sort of their pricing is, you know, in some ways, or what their pricing structure is. Because if you're competing against each other and you, the client likes both your work and and you you're pitching at completely different prices, then actually it's just going to drive the value of your photography down and actually the whole the industry as a whole because you'll constantly be undercutting each each other and actually the the margins have become lesser and lesser so in some ways yeah you definitely have to reach out to to other photographers and sort of you know and for them to become your contemporaries in in that sense in a business you know to have a sort of a certain business acumen because you know you wouldn't you wouldn't want to that that to be happening in 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 the industry really and we can even take that further and say that it's really beneficial to to just meet people within the industry and when i say meet i mean like go out for a coffee and have a sit down with them for sort of 10 15 minutes even if there isn't something that you can get out of it immediately it's just one it's just another potential relationship that could kind of develop into a collaboration or, or something down the line and i feel that's what happened with us as well because we met before recording this and we went for a coffee absolutely and, yeah and we got to know each other and who knows what's going to happen down the line but it's just one of those things that i think in the age of emails and instant messaging etc people kind of overlook just the importance of having a just sitting down with someone and talking to them and how important that can be absolutely you know i think i think that is invaluable um and that was one of the main reasons why i moved to london um to build my career i knew very early on that i had all the work was in london and i had to move to london to be on hand to be able to meet to people or 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 show people my work you know like um everybody is so busy nowadays so if you're if you're sort of an aspiring photographer and you're saying, Oh, you know, you, you're showing a art director your work or something. And they're like, Oh, okay. I have, I have Tuesday at, at four o'clock and you're not sort of on hand to, to be in there and present. Then it's, it's kind of like you're sort of missing an opportunity. And those opportunities are so, so valuable nowadays to sort of get your, your foot in the door that it was for me, it was an obvious thing to help build, you know, the, the stepping stones of my, my career. So yeah, like, you know, just how we we met up and had a had a coffee it's you know it, it's so easy to to do and it makes everything that little bit easier in in a very hard tough industry definitely and you were you were even kind enough to invite me into your studio and have a look around and i, I learned a tremendous amount just just being there um and also sort of given the stage that i'm at one of the things that i think is going to be really useful is instead of just emailing modeling agencies for test shoots maybe arranging at a time to actually meet the agents and the model managers and introduce myself that way and bring a physical portfolio to them you know i think i think that's something yeah. that would be quite useful to people at the early stages of their career what do you think Ab- absolutely absolutely you know um, and um 
you know, if costing's an issue, just get it on your iPad. You know, just get it, just get it in front of them, and just. And I think that's going to make you so much more memorable if you can get if you can get stuff in front of somebody and you can sit there and and chat to them. They're gonna they're gonna remember you rather than that email because they'll they'll remember they'll be like oh somebody sent me an email such and such but I can't remember their name and I don't know how to search for it and you know and then and then they'll have met up with somebody last week and they'll be like okay that's that's the person we'll get in because I remember them so yeah for sure do that. So what's um. What's in line for you for the rest of the year? I mean, um, the sporting calendar is sort of firing up a little bit more and more now. And as as much like um, as much as I am a sports photographer, uh, a lot of my work is actually working with with brands rather than sporting events. Um, the, I, I guess the, the sporting calendar. Um, and the cycle is driven through the events uh, and sort of like for the Tour de France, it, uh, for instance, or, you know, um, uh, the football just starting back up. But, um, and Formula One, of course, you know, not forgetting Formula One. But um, it's like things like that are still, if you're within that sector, things are still really limited. Like there's no, there's no fans. Like uh, actually getting um, a press pass is much harder now than it ever was um before because of sort of limited availability and places and things like that but for me yeah it's um yeah things are becoming much much more more positive now and um yeah i i'm looking to have a busy next couple of months before christmas which should be should be great um yeah i'm really looking forward to to getting back out there and um yeah shooting um shooting some more some more things that's really good to hear, especially now with COVID restrictions being sort of lifted and the sporting calendar firing up again, as you say. So, yeah, now that's brilliant. And Matt, for those who don't already follow you, where can the listeners sort of learn more about yourself? What's your website and your Instagram? Yeah. So if you do want to learn more about um, about me, then um, or actually indeed have any questions or you, you want some advice or, or anything like that, then just feel free to to drop me a message, you know, and I'll, I'll do my best to to help you out. But um, you can see my work on my website at uh, mattbenstone.com or my Instagram and all of my social media is at mattbenstone. Okay, amazing. Matt, thank you again for taking the time to do this interview. I really appreciate it. And I've learned a tremendous amount just by spending time with you and obviously through this uh, interview as well. So thank you again. Pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, thanks for, um, for letting me be involved. No problem. All right, Matt, thanks very much. Speak soon.